It's great to see you all this morning. Uh, just a little reminder, next Monday, week on Monday, we've got Willow on Prayer as well, so please put that into your, into your calendars, that would be great. My name's Glenn, and uh, if you are here for the first time, or you're still kind of uh, coming to the south, and maybe just kicking the tire a little bit, as it were, then we give you a special welcome, and uh, we're we're just a part way through our series in Joshua. So if you've got your Bibles, please take them out and you can turn to Joshua chapter 6. It's in the Old Testament there, one of the first few books uh, in the Old Testament. We're going to get to uh, Joshua 6 in just a little while. We've got a few scriptures to look at. A lot of work to do this morning uh, to get to where uh, I feel like the Lord is asking us to be. And, uh, and so uh, I'm really looking forward to... Uh, to sharing this with you. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, it's Sarah's and my uh, habit to go on a Sunday, on a, on, on, in the morning, we go for a walk together and we take our dog and we go through uh, Kettle Valley towards the trails and we walk and we, we chat and we pray. And so it's our time uh, with the Lord, with one another and, to, and, and it's great. It's a wonderful time. And, and at this time of the year, it's a little bit like running a gauntlet because everybody's testing their sprinkler systems uh, around about the time, it seems, I don't know if it's just this concerted, united effort to make it difficult on the Maddens to uh, make their way towards the trails, but we're constantly having to walk in the middle of the road because the sprinkler system's going all over the place and getting you wet. And it's nice in, when it's really hot when people don't, I mean, I'm, okay, this is no judgment. It's okay not to be okay, but some of you's need to figure out your sprinkler systems to actually make them point on your grass rather than on the path that people are walking. Unless you're thinking, no, this is fun, um, just going to make them really, really wet. But if you live in Kettle Valley, then you will know what I mean. They are all over the place. And the sprinkler system is a, is a yearly battle for me, uh, for our own sprinkler system because uh, we get it and I want it right. I don't want to waste water on the path. We get it right. So I'm looking at sprinkler systems as we're going and there was one particular house. It was a particular like medieval gauntlet walking through them and uh, on the way back we had to walk into the middle of the road. We met this nice lady who's got a, a big old dog and our dog was you know saying hello in ways that only dogs can and we're chatting and this is nice. I'm thinking this is great getting to know our neighbors. Sarah knows her quite well and so I'm shipping in. And I'm just trying to think of things to say. And typically, because I'm not very good at small talk, I revert to joking. And I say, hey, I can see why you're walking in the middle of the road because of the, the gauntlet of this sprinkler system right here. And, and then I said, you know, I should probably knock on their door and offer if I, if I can. I wouldn't mind helping them out. And Sarah said, it was her house. It was her house that we were talking to. And I'm going, you need to sort out your sprinkler system, love. I didn't actually say that, but that's how it was being communicated. And she was lovely. I'm like, I am so sorry. It's fine. You know, I will help if you need me to. But, you know, and she was lovely about it. And Sarah, and we, as I'm walking around, I'm going, oh, you're such an idiot. Just, just let Sarah do the talking and things will be fine. But I was, as we were chatting on the way back, I'm thinking, I so desperately need my wife. We've been married almost 26 years and daily I'm like, yeah, there's another reminder where I am just no good by myself. I'm just no good. And as I've said before, if she's leaving, I'm going with her because I just can't do life without her. We need one another. And really the essence of today's message is just that. We were not created or designed to do life 
by ourselves. We were not created to do life by ourselves when it comes to relationships, intimate relationships, close relationships. But also Jesus put together this incredible thing called church where basically communicated his love for the church and said, this is the body, this is the community, this is the place you belong. And, and, and we're eclectic, we're different, we have different experiences, we have different giftings, we have different strengths. But in his wisdom and in his love and in his plan, he brought us south, Willapart Church, together for a purpose. We don't do well by ourselves. We don't work well in isolation. Now, you can be in isolation as a couple. We don't do well in isolation. We don't do well on the fringe. It's not the way we were created to be. And this body, this church, by Jesus' own wisdom, he says he loves it. He loves this. Look at this scripture. This is in Ephesians chapter 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Like, let's stop there. These are known as the ministry gifts, this fivefold ministry gifts. They are direct gifts from Jesus to the church. And so generally speaking, within these fivefold are the people who lead the church. So you can look at those and go, well, I can see maybe where Glenn might be or where another leader might be. They're gifts to the church. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or, or womanhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, there's a lot going on there. So essentially here's what's happening. Jesus loves the church. He gave ministers or pastors, preachers, teachers, prophets, evangelists, shepherds to the church for a certain role. And that role was to equip the saints, that's you, for ministry. And in the hope, as you carry on, that there's maturity that develops as you get to know one another and also God. So there's maturity. I want you to remember that word as we go through. Maturity, so that we might gain or get to the measure of the fullness of Christ. So eventually in eternity, as Christians, we believe that that which we are now will steadily become more and more like Jesus while we're on earth. That's called sanctification. Until eventually, in heaven, we become like Jesus, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. Remember that? Maturity, children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So we will be steady, we'll be sure, that we'll know what is the right thing to believe. We'll know what is right, what is wrong, and we'll be like Christ in our judgment of it. So we're not judgmental, but we have good judgment of good doctrine by human cunning, by the craftiness in deceitful schemes. I could preach for a week on that, that we are in a world that has deceitful schemes. So all that is to say something really profound. And I want you to, I want you to hear this. That you, not me, you are ministers. You are the ministers. And so historically what we do is we look at pastors and teachers and prophets and evangelists and go, oh, they've been called to the work of ministry. And, and even though it might be semantics, it's actually partially incorrect. Yes, they are in ministry. Yes, I am in ministry. As much as you are. No difference. Your ministry looks different than my ministry, perhaps, but you are in ministry. You have to do theological gymnastics to make it all Glenn's job. My job is really clear. I've got a job description right there. Equip the saints. Which is why I do what I'm doing right now, and we have 
community groups, we have different things in the church, uh, different discipleships, different modes across Willow Park Church to encourage you to into the work of ministry. You are the ministers. You are the gifted ones. You are the ones that have been called. So if you separate in your mind, well, I have a job to do, or I'm, or I'm a, a mom, or I'm dad, or I'm a business owner, or I work here, or I'm a student, you have all these roles, all of which we celebrate, they're wonderful. But each one of those is ministry. You are in that place, in that business, to minister. Nothing else. That, if you want to know why you're doing the job that you're doing, or in the place that you are in right now, it's for one reason, to be ministers. To be ministers. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. But I just described some of them. Uh, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Everyone. Every one of us has been called to the ministry. Every one of us. To each, look... Everyone, each, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Not just our good, but the good of the earth, the good of our city, the good of your street. Are you a minister on your street? Are you a minister in your neighborhood? Are you a minister when you go to that coffee shop or that workplace or that that activity you do? Are you a minister sat on the bleachers watching your kid play sport? Because that is the lens to which we have all been called. But we're told that even though we have the same common call, we're all very, very, very different. (laughs) And that's what makes church amazing. It's also challenging. Because here's what happens. Because we've got different giftings and and different uh, lenses to which we look at life, understandably, this is no criticism, this is just human nature, we look through that lens and we go, this is the way things should be. This is how things should happen. So what we do is our gift determines our uh, methodology when it comes to how we should do church. So if you're really motivated by justice, you believe the church will grow by us serving the poor or bringing justice, social justice. That's That's the answer. That's the key. If you're motivated by that. If you're motivated by worship primarily and and spirituality and prayer, then that's the key. That's what you see as being the key. Maybe you're motivated by jumping into scriptures and teaching and theology and doctrine. That's a beautiful thing. So you think that's the key. Church needs to be this way. But the reality is, is we're all called in our different, and I could go on, we're all called in our different giftings towards a common good. A helpful way of looking at it was developed by Rick Warren a Gosh, probably at least 20 years ago, the purpose-driven church, not the purpose-driven life, although I do think he mentions it in that, the purpose-driven church, he talks about shape, S-H-A-P-E. And, and this is not me, this is, this is all, this is all uh, Rick Warren, and he says this, and I think it's quite helpful, S is we've all got spiritual gifts as Christians. H, we've all got a heart, we've got a motivation, something that really just kind of flicks our switch, something we get really excited about. We've all got different abilities. Some of you are just are able to do things so simply, whether it be accountancy or, or mechanics or practical things, or you're able to see things other people can't see, and, and that's what makes us all different, gives us our shape, if you will. Personality. There's people who are quiet. There's people who are not so quiet. There's people who have got 
sense of humor that put their foot in it whenever they go walking out with their wife in the morning when it comes to sprinklers. And there's other people who don't say anything to anybody in case they upset and hurt. I'll let you guess where I am. Um, We've all got different personalities. We need that. Jesus has given you that. Psalm 139 talks about how he's given us a frame and a substance. Our substance, our personality, our character. Now, that's not to say that there are things there that should never change. You know, because if you're harsh or you're, you're bitter or if you're angry, you go, well, that's just my personality. No, that's just sin. We need, you know, that's something that needs to be brought to the Lord. And then eventually, he talks about experiences. So we all have this unique shape. But we also have this common desire to thrive in it. That we want to see it grow. We want to see it develop. And we also want to see other people grow and develop in it. We want to see our city thrive. We want to see our neighborhoods thrive. We want to see our kids thrive. But we're all different. But every one of us has been called to the work of ministry. So, in one of the scriptures we just read, it talks about how growth happens. It says in Ephesians 4 verse 1, it says this, From him, Jesus, the whole body, that's you and me, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each does its work. As each does its work. As each does its work. Some version says part. So if we want to see this grow, not just the South, but Christianity, the kingdom grow in the city, if we want to see the kingdom grow in your neighborhood, and by the way, it's a whole other sermon if you don't care. If you're just apathetic towards that, that's a whole other sermon. That's a a coffee with pastor, maybe, because we would need to jump into that. But if you have a genuine desire for things to thrive and grow and develop, that you, your heart aches when you see injustice and you see people moving away from the Lord or you see the falling out of people moving away from the Lord. If your heart aches when you go downtown or along Lakeshore or to different parts of the city and you see people or your friends or your neighbors or your family and they are so far away from the Lord that they're taking part in in things that clearly are not good for them nor the city, if that makes you ache then the way that that is actually where growth and thriving happens within that context, the scriptures are really clear. It is not my job. It's our job together. It's our job to take part. Not just to sit on the the sidelines and look into the middle going, well, things should be this way. It's to actually step into the middle and go, yes, it's not only a thing for me to do. Listen, it's our calling. My worry is that when we get to the other side, when we move on, when we get to heaven, my worry is is that we're going to be in error of thinking that Jesus somehow is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, when we've completely missed our calling. By being focused on the things that he has given to us to fulfill our calling, we actually miss it. That we're so focused on our parenting and our businesses and our work and our, on ourselves and our activities and our leisure. All these things, it's called common grace. It's been given to us for us to minister. And if we're so focused, what we're doing is in Romans it says that we're worshipping the created rather than the creator. We're missing our calling by separating them out. So the second these words come out of our mouth, and I say this lovingly but truthfully because I've been here, is I'm too busy... 
that should cause us to get on our knees and say, Lord, what do I need to let go of? Or better, what do I need to start seeing differently? So I'm not saying, hey, let's just stop parenting so we can go and minister into our neighborhoods. That's ridiculous. Let's stop our businesses. Let's stop your goals and dreams and desires. I'm not saying let's stop skiing so that we can go and be ministers of Christ. However, if God is saying, hey, stop that, then not necessarily the parenting, but that's between you and the Lord. Better question is, Lord, how can I use, how can I see, how can I leverage those things in order to minister? Because that is my calling. You are not called to be a parent. Hear me? You're not called to be a parent. You're called to be a minister through parenting. There's a big difference. Because if you're just called to be a parent or a business owner or uh, an employee or retired or whatever it might be, if you're just seeing that as your role now, then that can quickly turn into an idol. But for you to look at that and go, how can I minister through that? Who can I reach because I am that? Does that make sense? And that's where the adventure of Christianity happens. People who think Christianity is boring, you know what, I'll change that. Christians who think Christianity is boring, look at your life, look at your shape, look at your call and go, okay, I have to sit on a bleacher watching my kid play, um, you know, grade seven basketball. How can I leverage that for the kingdom? How can I see that as an opportunity? Because that's how we'll grow and that's how cities change. This is just Bible. I'm just communicating this. Now, if it makes us feel uncomfortable, good. Then, you know, that's the scripture reading us. <laughs> that's the scripture reading us. And it's convicting. It's convicting. It's really convicting. So as we look at this, I started thinking about the South and I started thinking about the ministries that are happening in the South. And uh, this week... Wendy, uh, is Wendy here this morning? No, she, uh, she, she, she dropped by our house and, uh, and she was just full of Wendy. She was just bouncing and it's just wonderful. And she was so excited about SOAP, South Art Project, and, and the opportunities that are opening up for the South Art Project to minister to, uh, to uh, people in the city who desperately need Jesus and just need friends and help and community. That, through whether it be now Canada or Freedom's Door. And, and this ministry is, is really emerging. And, and she said, you know, she, this is her word. She said, I don't know a, an, another church like this in, in the city who reaches out in this way through the arts. And, and it just struck me, that is people's shape. So here's what Heather and Wendy and, the, and Colleen and, the, and, and, and Maureen and the, the team that is involved in South Art Project, what they're doing is, this is my shape. I have a love for the arts. How can, I, how can I leverage this? How can I use this to reach other people who don't know Jesus? Ding, 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 ding. Calling. That's calling. That's what builds this church. Not this. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. And we all know the power of a few people. Just a few. Getting together and shouting together for the kingdom. Jericho, Joshua chapter 6. Let's see how this plays out. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. Here's what's happening, just a quick recap. We've been working through Joshua with a kind of focus on Jericho. 
And Jericho is this highly fortified, impossible obstacle that the Israelites have to get through in order to get into the promised land. And I showed you a diagram in the first week of what the two, uh, the two walls look like. And, and, uh, and it's just this seemingly impossible obstacle. Not only the walls, but the people who are in there are notoriously uh, uh, incredible at fighting. And, the, and so there's just this, what on earth? And then God comes up with this genius, crazy plan. Let's walk. Let's get together. We'll blow some trumpets. We'll walk. It's going to be great. And I said in a couple of weeks ago, Joshua, for some even crazier reason, goes, okay, let's do it. And I asked the question, how is it that even though God presented what seemed to be a crazy, risk-filled plan that Joshua went, okay, let's do it. How did he get to that place? And, and we looked at how Joshua had been faithful and obedient in the small things and daily looking towards the cloud and the fire. So he was in the habit of taking risks and being obedient. So this is where we're at. Now, Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. Interesting, already Jericho is starting to shake. All, hear me, all the Israelites did was turn up. They just turned up. They've not done anything yet. They just turned up and Jericho is starting to shake. That's a great picture of the church. Just turn up. Will one prayer week on Monday, just turn up. And the walls will start to shake. You see, what these people were doing is they were gathering outside the obstacle and they were putting their focus on the Lord. Let's gather ourselves together. Let's look at the obstacles. And I can promise you, as we shove a fist into the heavenlies and declare the truth of God and pray, then the city will shake. In the areas that are most important, which is the spiritual and the heavenlies, there's fear. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, See, past tense, I have given Jericho into your hand. Nothing's happened yet. It's already done, Joshua. Don't worry about it. With its king and the mighty. So I love what God does here. He says, Joshua, it's already done. But I'm just going to give you a quick reminder of how impossible this is. King and mighty men of valor, remember? Do you remember that, Joshua? So it's not like God's trying to divert Joshua's attention from the obstacle. He's going, I've already given it here. And look at how impossible it is. I think that's brilliant. I think, it's, I think that's just God at his best showing us how incredibly powerful he is. You shall march around the city. You see what faith God has in Joshua? Not maybe if you've got time. If you can kind of squeeze it in. If you don't mind. If you think it's a good plan, maybe you could march around. This is future tense now. You shall. He's got so much faith in Joshua Let's jump ahead a few thousand years. Can I tell you this? We've just read scriptures that show the faith that Jesus has in his church. I will build my church, Jesus said. As you work together, you will grow. There's faith there. There's faith in us. And I've and I got to be honest, sometimes I look at myself and I go, I'm not seeing much to have faith in. I've got to be honest. And yet God looks at us and he sees something different. He sees, he loves the unlovable. He cares for those that have been rejected. He seeks out those that have been, uh, that are, have been left behind. The, the small he uses, the foolish he makes to profound the wise. He loves using the seemingly insignificant to do significant things. He has faith not in me, but in who is in me. 
He has faith in you and the gifts and the abilities and the strength and the heart and the abilities and the personality and the experience. He's got faith in that, empowered, amped up through the calling he's given you to do incredible things. You shall march around the city. All the men of war going around the city once, thus shall you do for six days. They had their promise. It was time to act upon it. Can I tell you? Our promise is far more significant than theirs. Our promise, according to Ephesians 1, has been placed in us as a guarantee. And his name is Holy Spirit. As a Bible-believing, Jesus-believing uh, person who has submitted their lives to him, you are filled by the Spirit of God. That's a far bigger promise than anything Joshua had. Far bigger, far more significant. He's actually in you. They didn't have that. They had to go to a tent to get to God. He's in us. Thus shall you do for six days. Verse 4. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. You see a pattern. And the priest shall blow the trumpet. And when they made a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. There's something really important in this scripture. Really important. And I've already said it from the New Testament, and I've kind of pressed it from the New Testament, and it's certainly here. Everybody, everyone was involved. Not just the soldiers, because that would make sense. Because if it kicks off, I want a soldier. Or maybe the priests. Priests make sense. Because we've got the Ark of the Covenant. That, that's a good idea. Priests and soldiers. Off you go. Just going to sit here. Going to have a, you know, a Diet Coke. No ice. And I'm um, just going to sit here and let you. Hey, and hey, uh, I've got some suggestions for you as well as you go. Maybe you want to march at a certain speed. Maybe you want to look in a certain way. Maybe you want to do this. Maybe no, everyone. Everybody march. It was everybody's responsibility. And then it says in verse 5, when the ram's horn is blasted, that everybody shouts. It says they make a shout. Everyone active, and everybody doing their part, the New Testament says, will, and the scripture says this, will cause growth. It's almost like cause has to happen. It will cause growth. And see, as I'm preaching this and as I'm prayerfully prepping it and and praying about it and, and, and thinking it through, I'm thinking their motivation was so huge that the idea of doing something impossible was just part of the journey towards the promise. And I think one of the things that we struggle with in Christianity today is that we've lost sight of the enormity of the promise. We've lost sight of the enormity of the promise. And so the motivation to do obediently follow has weakened. Because when we think about Christianity, we look at it through the lens of what we've experienced in the past. Whereas what I think God does is when he thinks about Christianity in the church, he looks at it through the lens of, of, of spirit-filled, powerful, miraculous, supernatural life. And I think we, we're waiting for to get to heaven to experience that. We might not verbalize it, but I think mentally we do this. But then Jesus himself on earth as it is in heaven, that we can actually live life with heaven 
in mind now, that we can be eternity driven now, that the promise of seeing your neighbor come to know Jesus, seeing that prodigal come to know Jesus, seeing that person stop self-medicating and coming back to Jesus, seeing the person who, who has just drifted away and is maybe an addiction or living a great life but just uninterested in Jesus, maybe that motivation, that, that visualization, if you like, of what life would look like with that person following Jesus has gotten weakened. So the motivation to actually see ourselves part of the growth and, and taking part and, and doing stuff, that, that reduces too. Now what I'm very aware of is one of the things that has happened in the South, and I'm very grateful over the last eight years or so, is that we, we tend to have people come who have had really, really difficult times in church. Painful times. Where church has just got nasty and they've come here with hesitation. They've come here with a, well, I know I have to go to church, so this is what we're going to do. Not a, come on, this is going to be great. And sometimes it takes years for that motivation to come back. And I understand that. But once it's come back, it's time to pick up the trumpets and to start marching together, using the gifts and the abilities that we've got. Um, one of the things I've enjoyed doing in the past and, uh, and I had to stop, unfortunately, was, uh, was coaching rugby. And, and rugby, to me, is one of the most fantastic, uh, phenomenal games in the world. It's one of the few games where you can see a group of men or women playing where they will literally smash each other to bits. And then as soon as the whistle blows through bloodied mouths and other things that are blood-covered, they'll shake hands and go and get a drink together after. Sometimes too much, but still, there's a, there's a camaraderie. When you, when, you, uh, when you hurt together, when you, when you play a game as beautiful as this. Um, and what's interesting is up until a few years ago, before it became professional, is that many of the people who played rugby uh, were actually highly educated professionals. And it was hilarious because you'd look at them and they were teeth missing and their ears had been all cauliflowered up and big lumbering guys especially and they'd be like oh yeah he's a he's a a professor of astrophysics at oxford or he's a doctor or she's a dentist and you go wow this is highly professional but uh wow that's that's kind of scary it was it was one of those sports it's it's had a long long heritage and so for me to be able to coach it i i thoroughly enjoyed it the thing with rugby is is that it's a very difficult sport to play when you don't know uh the laws they're not called rules they're called laws uh, I, would has, I would actually for sure say that many of the guys, high schoolers, grade 11 and 12 especially, who I used to coach, didn't have a clue about the laws at all. I'd just say, look, this is your job, stick with it, don't worry about anything else. But when they strayed out of that, it became a problem. Uh, so I would often have guys coming who'd literally never thrown one of these before. Uh, they'd immediately want to start throwing it like the, an American football, and, and so to try and coach them. So it takes time. They start off. doesn't matter how old they are, you have to start off teaching them some of the fundamentals of playing ball or playing, playing rugby. And one of the things that you teach them is the spin pass. And the spin pass is basically where it goes through the air, spinning just like American football, and it looks super easy. So Luke, who I know has got a good spin pass, this is what a spin pass looks like. Don't miss. Okay, he hasn't done it for a while. That's a spin pass to the head. It's called a hospital ball. Whenever you catch here, it's a hospital ball because they can hit you there. That's a spin pass. Now, um, any volunteers? Tim, thanks for putting your hand up. 
Have you ever played rugby? Good. Come on. Okay, you can say that. That's fine. I'm going to pass it to you, all right? And I want you to spin pass it back to me. Try not to... Okay. Okay, not bad. Okay, try and do it without putting hand over like that. Like that. Do it from there. Okay, pretty good. Okay, so after a while... Sorry, Tim. You can get it further. And then... Okay, I was thinking about putting Tim at the back, but then I was thinking, Dave McLean. Well, he's got good reactions, yeah. Okay, no, that's fine. So here's my point. Often when you start, you can sit down there, thanks, Tim. Unless you want to stand there. It's fine as a target. The thing with rugby is often it can get, and you did really well, you, 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 it can spin, it can get nasty. But once you understand the laws, once you understand the principle of the game, once you understand how to pass the ball well and you've got speed and you know the directions to go, you know the tactics, you know your coach is called, you're a good team player and everything else. And then I put you on the bench and you sit there and then I go, okay, time to get in the game. Oh no, I don't wanna, I'm not going to go and play. I'm just happy to pass the ball. I'm happy to learn the tactics. I'm happy in practice I'll do anything. I'll hit hard. I'll tackle hard. I'll run hard in practice. But that bench is where I'm going to sit in the game. That's exactly what we do in church. We pass the ball well. We come to church. We get involved. You know, we know what to do. We know our Bibles really well. We've read the books. We listen to the podcasts. We we worship in the car. We maybe go to a conference. We do all those things really well. But when it actually comes to playing in the game, when we're actually called to go and talk and be part of what we're doing and, and to volunteer and get involved, oh, no, that's not what I signed up for. Well, it's rugby. That's what it is. That's what you do. That's... That's the essence of everything about rugby. Rugby's not sitting on the bench. Rugby's playing the game. Christianity is all about getting off the bench and playing in the game, not just sitting there. One of the things that we've noticed over the last few years in church, not just at the South, but this is lots of research, and I've mentioned this uh, before. Where did I put the... uh... Oh, it's there. One of the things that I've, I've mentioned this before, there's lots of research gone into changing church dynamics. And one of the things that has been noticed is people who used to come to church twice on a Sunday. How many of you used to go to church twice on a Sunday? I did. I used to fall asleep on the evening service, didn't I, mum? Let's see, you put your hands up, twice on a Sunday. How many did twice on a Sunday and once in midweek? Yeah, hardcore. How many of you missed that? <laughs> a couple those that come just once a week 10 years ago now come every other week uh, and that's not a south thing that's just and this is May long weekend so I'm very conscious a lot of people away um, but the, the, every other week is now once a month once a month is every now and again and, and so on and, and this isn't me this is not a drive-by guilting this is just the way Christendom is. And there's lots of research reasons. Increased cash flow, more travel, business practices, family, being more spread apart. There's lots of reasons, very understandable reasons. And so what's happened, though, is that attendance has dropped because of the culture that we're in. Now, there are always exceptions to the rule, but this is just generally, especially in North America. 
And so what churches do is they increase the entertainment value in order to try and draw the crowd back in. And then we all know the crowd fluctuates, doesn't really work. It's not, it's just not the way it should be. And then I read this, uh, this is not my research, this is something that I was studying especially last summer, is there's this, 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 this realization now in church there's a difference between attending and engaging. You can actually, and this is certainly the experience at the South, you can have people who may not attend on a very regular basis, but they're very engaged in church. So they're serving, they're giving, they're praying, they're championing, and they're coming whenever they possibly can. That's an engaged Christian. Oh, and they're telling their story to people in their circles of influence. That's an engaged person. That's somebody who's looking at their life and going, I'm still called. And we need to embrace that. Alternatively, there are people who attend every week but aren't engaged. They're not giving, they're not praying, they're not serving, they're not volunteering, they're not sharing their story, but they come to church every week. And as a pastor, I'm going to let you guess which, generally speaking, the pastor wants. They want attendance because it's nice to have a full building. But I have a sense that actually, ideally both, by the way, attending and engaging would be beautiful. But I have a sense that when we get to heaven, the good and faithful servant part will be coming towards those people who are actually fully engaged in the life of the church. Because I just don't want a wife that attends. I want a marriage that is engaged and attends. Because one or the other, is, 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 it's missing. So when God called these people to circle, they were all engaged. They weren't just attending because there was a shout. They're engaged. Yay. No, they would have shouted. And this coming off the bench, engaging, is so, so vital. Not just to make pastor feel better, but to actually see change and growth and development in our church. In Acts 2.42, one of the most well-known common verses, and I draw this to a conclusion. In Acts 2.42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And the fellowship. I've talked about this word before and about how it's a covenant word. It's a deep covenant word. It's not just tea and biscuits. Uh, For those of us that went to church twice on a Sunday and once on a Wednesday, church fellowship was after church and you got a a weak cup of tea and a, and a half a biscuit, you know, that you could dip in. That, that was our fellowship, and that's not what this verse is about. It's actually they believe, and then their behavior follows their belief. So here's, here's what I'm coming to. It's a really simple question. And it's not asked out of trying to drive guilt, because guilt doesn't last. What I'm trying to inspire is that we have a calling, a calling to be engaged in the life of the local church. We have a calling to be engaged in our ministry. We have a calling to be engaged in all the different aspects of life and see how we can show Jesus through them. We have a calling. So it's not about guilt, it's just a recognition of calling. So the obvious question is, are we engaged? Are you doing your part? Are you volunteering in the church? And are you volunteering outside of the Sunday as well? Both are important because we scatter and we gather. Are you? Because if you're not, you may have been a Christian a long time and we love you. But if you're keeping the bench warm, 
Bench warmers don't change cities. City changes are from those that come off the bench and go, I don't care how old I am. I don't care what my sphere of influence looks like. I'm not even sure what my gifting strengths are, but I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to get off, I'm going to grab the ball, and I'm going to go and play the game. But this game actually has eternal consequence. And the beauty is, just like in a game of rugby, when you bleed and hurt together, there's a commonality and a camaraderie that binds us close together, and then the church grows. And so we're in a win-win. And if you're waiting for the time when you will have enough time, it's a little bit like waiting to have kids, and waiting until you can afford to have kids. You'd never afford to have kids. So if you're waiting to have enough time to engage, you'll never have enough time to engage because we have an enemy to make sure that that's not going to happen. And so as I'm looking ahead, and I'm looking at the next 12 weeks especially, or uh, next, over the summer, I'm thinking about uh, me being on sabbatical and then moving into the fall. My plea, my prayer is that we would have a church of the engaged. We would have a church going, sign me up. Sign me up. I'm in. I'm in. Let us consider how we may spur one another up towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Remember David cuts Goliath's head off, and then all the Philistines flee, and David's on the run. You know, head in one hand maybe, and bloody sword in the other. Second time I said bloody, sorry mom. And... And they're running. What do all the Israelites do? They pick up and run after David because it takes one of us to make a decision to run, to inspire and encourage others to come running with you. Be that person. Be that person. Let's just move on. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Daily. That's the adventure. That's the motivation. That's the promise. That the Lord is working in the lives of people daily through your actions, through you taking part. So please, let's engage. In the seat pocket in front of you, there's a little postcard and it says volunteers needed. Over the summer, and by the way, this is a whole sermon uh, wasn't pointing to this card. I got an email from Darla this week saying, Glenn, could you please give a shout out for volunteers in the summer? I'm like, wow, that's just a fantastic quiz because I'm preaching about being engaged. So I can actually give you an opportunity. There's four specific areas that we want to try and give people a break on. Because we have people who work hard every week. Kids, media, coffee bar, connect, welcome team. Sign up for one week. And as I put on the postcard, it says, hey, you might find out you really like it and want to carry on. But it's not something we're going to hold you to. Don't think I can't. Because ask the question, if you can't, then that's a point where you need to come to the Lord and say, why not? Why not? And if you don't feel that you're able to do it because of the South or the church, then I lovingly say, you need to find a place where you can feel like you can give and serve. Financially and in time, give, serve, volunteer, share your story. Find a place because that is your calling. You need to do that. With that in mind as well, today we have uh, volunteer uh, information, uh, sorry, membership information and, and, and application forms they're available, they'll be available at the back on a couple of the tables for you to grab as you go. If you are not a member, again, it's a step forward. I'm in. Please take one of those forms and application form. The, the, the question I ask at the top of the, of the, uh, uh, of the page is, I've, I've 
I've, I've written there. It says, why become a member of Willapot Church? And it answers some questions. Um, read it through. But this is the promise. This is the promise. In a second, we're going to take communion and we're trying to do it more often because it's such a beautiful way of focusing our attention on the gospel. We have Jesus' blood and um, represented by the juice and, and the bread represents his body. Because Jesus, it says, gave himself for the church. For all those who believe, you can actually be part of the family of God. And so there's maybe you're thinking about, man, I, I, I'm not even part of my own family, it feels. Never mind the family of God. And so as we gather around, and, and we're doing it slightly differently, and I explained this a few weeks ago, that you just take a piece of bread, you can dip it, and take it back to your, your seat. One of the beautiful things about doing this eating together is it's a, it symbolizes us as a family eating together. A number of times we've gone to the king. Uh, they used to say that to the king and they would take the the wine and they would drink the wine this is like saying it's to the king this is my calling that Jesus you followed your call to the cross me what can I do to help and serve in the kingdom for you for you and so as we take it and we're going to take it any time in the worship you're welcome to come and get it and we have gluten free is at the back over there so there's no cross contamination and everything else think of everything see I didn't but other people did is at the back on, on the table there let's make this a time of worship of remembering the gospel remembering Jesus' sacrifice for us but let's also make it a time when we say Lord how can I give back to you because you gave so much to me so much to me let's pray together